Okay, just a little review of Lent real quick, uh, what we finished with uh, Lent and in Easter. We've been preaching, uh, talking about the kerygma, this word, that, this Greek word that means proclamation, which, which ultimately can boil down to, to saying, calling it the basic gospel message, right? What, what is Christianity all about? It is all about what God has done in the person of his son, Jesus, which we've seen, hopefully we've seen, or, or, or uh, uh, maybe some of us are, are, are a little... Um, fatigued of seeing so much that, that it's, it's much more than just the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but that he enters in, he's the central part of the story, but that the story is much bigger than he is, right? That, that there's, there's so much that comes before him, and then he comes into the story, and now we're going to see that there's something that needs to come after him. But, but up to this point, we've, we've been talking about the first three parts of the kerygma, at least the way that I, I present it, right? The goodness of creation, sin and its consequences, God's response to sin. And, and then we're going to be talking about uh, our last part here, which is our response to God. But these first three parts, just a little bit of review, right? That, that the human person, out of everything that God makes, which he makes everything, the human person is the highlight, his favorite creature, the one that he loves the most, uh, created in his image and likeness, male and female, created in the image and likeness of God, made by God for the purpose, the one purpose of becoming like him. Which, which when we look at who he is, if we just give ourselves a minute to just look up, right, we can see how incredible he is, how grand and majestic he is, and he creates us to become like him. The bad news, of course, is that we see in the story that we have an enemy, this, another creature of God who hates that God's plan for you and for me is so great, so incredible, that he does everything that he can to ruin that plan. And so he convinces our first parents to rebel against the one command that God gave to them, and in rebelling, they thought that they could find happiness apart from God. They thought that they could figure it out for themselves, that they didn't need God to tell them what was good and what was evil. And so they rebelled. And when they rebelled, they unleash a whole series of chaos into the world. Relationships are broken. And, and worse than that, that the entire human race is sold into slavery to this creature, the devil, Satan. So that now, because of sin, he has a certain domination over us, a certain power over us as though he rules or governs us. But the good news, of course, right, is that we look at how does God respond to rebellion? How does God respond when his favorite creature rebels against him and sells him, himself into slavery? He responds with incredible generosity, providing for his creature, his favorite creature throughout history, beginning in the Old Testament and moving, of course, into the New Testament when he provides his own son, Jesus, the one whom he loves, to die for us so that we can be set free from spiritual slavery and be brought into his family. Jesus, who comes as a warrior to fight for us, to rescue us. It seems as though he's lost everything when, in fact, he proves himself victorious over everything that could possibly compete against him. This, this is God's response. But now we're left with this last part. We have this last part, which is our response, which that in itself, I think, is something we have to let ourselves just sort of ponder, you know, to recognize, like, you are part of the story. The kerygma, the proclamation of what God has done for the world, you're part of the story. You and I have a part to play, and if we don't play the part, then the story is incomplete. Right? Like, this is, this is incredible that somehow, by God's wisdom, he's made it so that even 2,000 years after his son Jesus has come to die, to rescue us, to rise from the dead, even 2,000 years later, somehow the story still needs to be completed. And it needs to be completed in your life to respond. That's, I think that's amazing. You know, like, that you matter that much to God. You're that important to him that he makes you a part of his grand story of saving the world. So let, let yourself recognize, like, you're, you're important to him. You matter. 
Now, we, we have to ask this question though, right? Like how does somebody, so given those, those first three parts of the story, how does, how does somebody reasonably or appropriately respond to that? How do, you, how do you appropriately respond to the God who could have easily given up on us? He could have easily wiped us out and gotten rid of us. He could have started over. But rather than doing that, how do you respond to the God who sends his son and pulls out all the stops to rescue you, to save you, to give you a new chance at life? And not just life, but like life in abundance. This, this to me is a tough question because it, to me, it's something that you either get or you don't get. And I know that there are people in the church who fit into both of those categories. People who get it. And so it's like, no, I hear it. And it's like, I'm convicted by it. I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to respond. And I, I like, sure, give me some ideas. But either way, like, I understand what I need to do. But then other people who just don't get it. And so anything I talk about over the course of the next seven Sundays is going to seem like a bit much. It's going to seem a little excessive. Like, no, Father, that's not how we do it here. Right? And, and so it's, it's kind of a tricky, difficult thing. And so just to recognize that over the course of the next seven weeks, I'm aware that, that there are going to be some things that are maybe a bit uncomfortable, a bit uh, unusual, maybe something, some things that we don't talk about very much. I'm aware of that. But, but I'm also aware that there are some of you who are ready to, to receive this, who are ready to respond and maybe just need some help doing so. And, and whichever category you fit into, either way, we pray for the Lord's grace to descend upon us, that, that he can be glorified by the way that we live our lives. And, and so maybe we can begin with this first question, right? Do we, need, do we need to respond? Right? Like, is it really necessary to respond to the death of Jesus? And, and to that, I think, I think we can start with an example, right? So, like, let's, let's just take the Lord out of the, the equation for a minute. And, and here's, here's an image for you. So you, you know by now that I like to use my imagination, and I like to encourage you to use your imagination. So you just have to imagine waking up one day, except you don't wake up in your bed, you don't wake up in your house. You know that you're awake, but you open your eyes and you can't see anything. Like it's completely dark. You wave your hand in front of your face and there's like nothing there. You wake up and you're in this place that's just pitch black. There's no light anywhere. And, and you're not really sure what to do, but like you, you want to get up. You're not sure if you're going to hit your head. Uh, and, and, but anyway, you get up and slowly and you just kind of feel around because you're like, where am I right now? Like you're, you're stuck in this place. And you sort of walk around, but you're not sure like if there's holes in the ground or if there's snakes or spider or whatever. Like so you're just like being really, really... Uh, tentative, right? You're, you're really, really uh, hesitant. And you're feeling around, and you're trying to find your way out of this place, because you don't want to be in this dark place, right? You don't want to be there. And you can't, you, you can't see anything, and no matter how hard you try, like, you feel around, it seems like maybe you're making progress, but then, ultimately, you're, you're stuck, like, I actually don't know, maybe I've been here before, and I, it feels like I've been doing this for a long time, right? Like, like, hours maybe seem to go by, when in fact, you don't actually know how much time has gone by, because you don't have a watch, or if you do, you can't see it, right? Like, it's completely dark, and maybe for some of us, there's, there's kind of a, a sense of excitement about this at first because it's like, oh, great, I just gotta, I gotta figure this thing out. But, but even, even for those who are excited, after what's gonna happen, eventually time is gonna pass. A long time. And your stomach is gonna tell you that you're hungry and your mouth is gonna tell you that you're thirsty. You might scream for help, but no one's answering. You can't see anything. And eventually what's gonna happen? You're gonna realize that you're gonna die stuck in this cave and nobody's going to know about it because as far as you know, nobody knows that you're there. And so what, like you start to panic maybe, you sit down, you just give up. Some of you maybe are worrying about your family, some of you are worrying about your hunger, some of you are worrying about who knows what, right? But like, you're just like, I don't, how did I even get here, right? Like I'm stuck. And you just give up. But then something happens. Someone, you see someone a ways off and he comes up to you, he's got a torch in his hand and he comes right up to you. And he just looks at you and he's like, hey, I know the way out of here. 
follow me. Now, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, do you believe that person? Right? Like, do you believe that this person is interested in saving you? Do you believe that this person knows the way out? Do you believe that this person will lead you out? Or do you think that maybe it's a trap? And, and, you know, but, but again, like, if you believe that person, right? If you believe that person is good, that he's going to lead you out of the cave or wherever you are, then what, what, what does that mean? It means you're saved, right? Like, this is amazing. I was stuck. I was left for dead. I don't even know how I got here. But now this person has come to rescue me. Like, this is incredible. I'm saved. But what's going to happen next? The person with the torch is going to turn and start walking. And if you don't follow him, what's going to happen? Eventually, he's going to get out of sight. And you're going to be stuck in the same dark place that you were before. In order to be saved, you actually have to move with that person. You see, a response is necessary. It's not optional. If you think it's optional, you're going to be stuck in darkness. And what's the response that's necessary? Ultimately, surrender. What, what does surrender mean? Surrender means to submit to someone else's authority, to not resist. What's authority? Authority is the power or the right to give orders make decisions, and enforce obedience. Right? Ultimately, my response to the person who wants to lead me out of the cave and into freedom where, where I can breathe fresh air, where I can eat fresh food and drink fresh drink, my response needs to be surrender, giving that person authority over my life. Where right, I don't know the way out of the cave. He does. I don't have the light. He does. And so wherever he goes, I have to go. Wherever he tells me to go, I have to go. Whatever he tells me to do, I have to do because he's the one who's leading me. That's the, the response, to submit, right? Submission, right? To come under the mission of somebody. What's, what's the mission of the person with the torch? Well, it's to save me. Well, that's a mission that I can get behind. That's a mission that I can get underneath, right? Whatever. But sure, like there, the thing is that what happens? As he's leading me out of the cave, sometimes he might lead me or tell me to go places that seem like they don't make sense or seem like, gosh, it seems like that would be a better way to go. But the thing is, I don't know the way out of the cave. I don't know where the pitfalls are. I don't know where the dark corners are. He does. And so even if he tells me things that are uncomfortable or that I disagree with or that don't make sense to me, right, I have surrendered myself to him. I've given him authority over my life. So he's the one who makes the decisions, not me. He's the one who gives orders, not me. Right? Like this is the response. It's the only response. Hopefully you can see Jesus in this, right? Jesus is the one with the torch. Jesus, who is the light of the world, he comes to us. He walks right up to us, each of us. And he says, follow me. And if you don't move, if you don't surrender to him, then you're going to end up stuck in darkness apart from him. Why do I have to surrender to him? Well, because he tells us in the Gospel of John, his disciples come to him in John chapter 14, and they say, show us the way to the Father, right? So the Father, God the Father, which is, we could say, heaven, right? Show us the way to heaven. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, you guys hear this, no one comes to the Father except through me, he says. If I want to go to heaven, I must surrender myself to Jesus. I must give him authority over my life, place myself underneath his mission. And if I refuse to do that, if I resist him, that means I will not end up in the presence of the Father for all of eternity. 
but instead I will end up separated from him for all of eternity. And if I don't surrender, submit myself to the mission of Jesus, which is to save me, if I don't submit to that, then his story will be incomplete. His mission for my life will be incomplete. I actually want him to fulfill his mission, right? The thing is that sometimes he's going to ask me to do things that, that maybe seem uncomfortable. He's going to ask me to do things, not, not, not just ask, but command me to do things that don't make sense. But if I have truly surrendered myself to him, he's the one with the authority, not me. You see this? This, this is the beginning of the response because I don't know the way out of the cave, and neither do you. I don't have the torch, and neither do you. But he does. And he comes to us and he says, I'm here to lead you out. Now, the trick with this is that we have, to, we have to sort of let ourselves be honest with ourselves. To recognize that sometimes we can come to the Lord with a sense, with a real sense of saying, no, I'm surrendered to him. I, gi- I give my life to him. But then when push comes to shove, when he gives a command that we don't agree with, or when his church gives a command that we don't agree with, we resist. And this happens to us. This happens in the Bible. There are scenes in the Bible where people come to Jesus or they come to God pretending or seeming like they are surrendered to him. But then when God gives a command that they don't agree with, they walk away. In Matthew 19, there's a story of a rich young man. Many of us probably know the story. This rich young man who comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? He seems like he's surrendered. Like, you just tell me. You tell me what to do. Wherever you tell me to do, I'm ready to do it. Jesus responds, keep the commandments. So he says, great, I've been doing that. What else? Jesus tells him something else. We won't get into the details right now, but he tells him something else. And what happens? The story ends by saying he went away sad. You see this? He came to Jesus seeming like he was fully surrendered to him. But then Jesus gave him a command that he didn't agree with, that he didn't like. And so the end result was not ultimately surrendering to Jesus, but the end result was walking away from Jesus. There's a difference here between real surrender and fake surrender. There's a story in the Old Testament, a guy named Naaman, who's a a general of an army, this great commander of an army, but he contracts leprosy, which back then, just as today, was kind of a shameful or embarrassing thing, right? Like you get leprosy, so then people want to avoid you because they don't want to, you know, catch it. And so he's like, "What, what am I supposed to do? And someone says, well, you need to go talk to the prophet Elisha. Elisha is a man of God, and he will be able to cure you by God's power. So Naaman goes to Elisha and, and says like, okay, I'm here. I need you to heal me. I'm, I'm surrendered. Whatever you say, Elisha, I'm surrendered to, so that you can heal me. Elisha gives him a command. He tells him to go do something, which doesn't meet the expectations that Naaman had for Elisha. And so he says, look, I don't need you to tell me to do that. I, I thought you were going to tell me to do something grand, something, something crazy. I was ready to do that, but you told me to do just a simple thing. I'm not going to, right? So he walks away. He's not truly surrendered to Elisha. Now, the good news in that story is that Naaman had a servant who's like, no, look, you, you said you were going to surrender. He told you to do something. You were ready to do anything but this. All the more reason, now that he tells you to do something that you don't see or that doesn't make sense to you or that you don't agree with, all the more reason should you surrender to him. And he does, finally. And he's healed and cured. You see, we have to come to the Lord with sincere, honest hearts that are earnest in our surrender. The last example from the Bible in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Uh, When the Holy Spirit descends upon them, they start preaching in tongues, and these people gather around them who don't believe in Jesus. And Peter gets up and he starts preaching. He's preaching the kerygma. He's talking about what God has done in the person of Jesus. 
And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the response of the people who don't believe in Jesus, it says that they were cut to the heart and they say to them, brethren, what shall we do? You see this, like they're brought to a place of like, you just tell us what to do. Like they surrender themselves. They're convicted by the Lord. And so they surrender themselves to the Lord Jesus and to his church. You see, Jesus isn't in that scene, but his church is, his leaders, his apostles are. And so they surrender themselves not only to the Lord Jesus, but also to his church saying to them, look, you just tell us what to do. Next week, we'll look at what the answer is. But for now, we need to focus on this question, right? Like, am I that surrendered to the Lord that I come to him? I, I hear the story. I hear the charisma, And I just say like, oh my gosh, you, like you just tell me whatever, whatever you tell me to do, Lord, this is what I'm ready to do. I'm convicted by the message and I'm ready to lay down my life to no longer have authority over my life, but I give you and your church authority entirely over my life. I'm ready to obey. You see, this is real surrender has three, at least three qualities. So real surrender is this. Someone else has authority over my life. Someone else, not me. Someone else is able to tell me what to do. Jesus, after all we say, is Lord If I surrender to him, I make him Lord of my life. Whatever he says, wherever he goes, however he does it, that's what I do. I will obey. That's the second characteristic. He has authority over my life, and so I will obey. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus says this, If you love me, keep my commands. Do you love Jesus? The way to prove that you love Jesus, he says, not me, he says this, is that you will keep his commandments. You will obey him. This is something that Americans don't like. We don't like being told what to do. And yet the Christian life is a surrender to him, giving him authority, telling us, letting him tell us what to do. And then lastly, all of this points to the reality that my feelings, my preferences, my thoughts, my opinions, they're not as important as his. Sure, I might have feelings and thoughts and opinions and preferences. It's good for us to think, right? To think critically. But when push comes to shove, if we run, on, run into uh, something in the Bible or something that his church teaches that we disagree with, we've surrendered. And so I have to set my feelings, my preferences aside so that I can live under his authority and be obedient to him. And ultimately, what we have to remember is this. We have to remember that we're not surrendering to to a vengeful God. We're not surrendering to someone who's got it out for us just to ruin our lives. We have to remember that we're surrendering to someone who's come to set us free. We're surrendering to someone who wants us not just to know a little bit of happiness. Remember that rope last week? Not just a little bit of happiness, but he wants us to enjoy eternal happiness. That's what we're surrendering to. And he's the only one who can give us eternal happiness. Sometimes I have to sacrifice during my little bit of life here on this earth, right? St. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sometimes I have to deny myself and sometimes that denial is going to hurt like hell. But the result is going to be heavenly, eternal joy in the life that is to come. That's what we're surrendering to. And I have to remember that. You have to remember that in the weeks coming up. Because like I said, there are going to be some things we talk about in the next few weeks that are maybe a bit uncomfortable for some of us. That are a bit unusual for some of us. But if we can remember that we're surrendering to the God who truly has our best interest. The best interest, by the way, which is far greater than anything we can actually imagine for ourselves. If we can remember that, then maybe, maybe we can be brought to a place where we can say, no, I'm ready to set aside my preferences I'm ready to set aside my thoughts, my feelings, 
Not because they're bad, but because his are so good. A couple of reflection for us, reflection questions for us as we go. Do you believe that Jesus is good? If you don't believe this, if you don't believe that he has your best interest in mind, you're not going to be able to surrender to him. Do you believe this? Do you believe that there's no other way to heaven except through him? As the Bible teaches, as he himself teaches, do you believe that? And if you do, have you surrendered yourself to him? Have you given him authority, all authority over your life? Surrendering to him and to his church so that even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't understand it, you say, Jesus, you're the only way. Whatever you say, whatever you say.